Welcome back to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. Guys, I'm on a roll. This is the third episode that I'm recording and getting to you on a weekly basis. Aren't you so proud of me? The good news is I'm going to keep this up. There's so much to talk about and I just have to schedule this time in so I can get these stories to you in a way that's maybe a little more extensive than the little posts I'm able to do, which by the way, I have noticed a huge decline on my Facebook. So if you are not seeing me, there's a reason and it's not me and it's not you. Uh, My visibility has changed and this happens periodically between Facebook or Instagram and there's really no rhyme or reason to when it happens or how long it happens, but all of a sudden it goes from like 1500 likes in a couple of hours to 300 likes and uh, and I'm you know sharing the same kind of content or status updates or whatever so if you don't see me on there it's not because I'm not posting it's because I'm kind of being blocked a little bit right now another reason why the Melissa for Truth website is going to be so great because we don't have to worry about whether or not there is visibility or what if they're blocking things there's going to be an access point so we're adding a few last features and have some things to kind of unveil once it does open up also. So that's kind of exciting. If you have not subscribed, make sure to do that. Melissa4, number four, truth.com. Join and be a part of the tribe or calling the M4T tribe, Melissa4Truth tribe, uh, so that you can kind of be ready when this does go live. And there are going to be some really cool options for subscribing to content. So you can do um, a subscription model, which basically is going to be a way to support what I'm doing uh, and, and supporting me continuing to bring that to you while getting exclusive content for subscription members only. So they're going to be two different options for you. And um, as you know, some of you already know, you can also uh, be a supporter of this podcast. You can do that on whatever you're using, whether it's Anchor or I believe Apple lets you access the link uh, to become a supporter. And you can do that for as little as $5 a month, um, or you can go more than that if you'd like. I am um, so grateful for all of you. So thank you guys for, you know, kind of keeping behind me as we we push towards uh, furthering the conversation on all things unpopular that are evidence-based. That's what this podcast is all about. So anyway, today I want to talk about an article. I'm going to go through some things that might have been over the last, you know, couple weeks or whatnot, because a lot of it I find that's important, I want to make sure we get down and transcribed. So this article I thought was really important. And it's called How to Vaccinated People Spread Delta, What the Science Says. Now, this is an article in Nature. Okay, and this is gonna be volume 596. This was August 19th, 2021. So here we're at the end of September. This is about four weeks, um, four weeks ago. Again, the title, How to Vaccinated People Spread Delta, What the Science Says. And I'm gonna go through this reading direct quotes from this, but also talking about a few things that, you know, I've mentioned before, whether it's on my social media or I've talked about here on the podcast, the thoughts that I have when I'm reading something like this. Um, and things to pay attention to when you read things like this. Because if we've seen anything over the last year and a half, we've seen very conflicting 
science, right? So somebody will share something on their social media that backs up why mask mandates are necessary or why everybody needs to get vaccinated and they should be forcing every employee to do so. And they'll kind of post an article or this study says this, right? So it seems like it's completely substantiated. But then you'll find studies that say different things and they're often contradictory to the ones you might see either on the news or from people sharing from certain mainstream sources. So, you know, when I see something that brings up another point that maybe counters what we've been told, I like to look into that. And then I also like to look at the language that's used because that's a really important thing to pay attention to. You know, they're kind of pushing you to feel and think and believe a certain thing. And you can tell by the way things are said, it's like not okay for them to come out and say, well, what we're being told is wrong because they know that'll never get published. So you can see the way things are kind of angled to make it look neutral. But in reality, they're actually saying something that's really important uh, as far as questioning what's going on. So this is a big one. Vaccinated people spreading the Delta variant. Okay, I know there's a lot of discussion about how you even test for the Delta variant, and they, they say they're doing it through sequencing. I know there's a lot of questions about um, how prevalent this really is, and are people just assuming that's what it is? But according to mainstream medical community, they're saying, you know, over 90% of all cases are the Delta variant. So I think there's just the assumption that anytime somebody's getting it now, it's basically a Delta variant. And what have they found out about this variant? that it is more contagious. And so usually what they do when talking about this, and I remember I posted something probably June or July of 2020 when the first, quote, mutations were coming out right before the, quote, second wave. And they were saying the same thing, that this is a stronger variant. So something I want to address, and I could probably do a separate episode on this altogether, is... What's the likelihood of a stronger mutation? What's the likelihood of a stronger variant after there's already been one, possibly two? Is this what actually happens with viruses? Are viruses actually mutating to become more deadly? Does that make sense from the standpoint of virology? Would a virus continue to be able to spread if it killed its host? And I've mentioned this, I know, before, but I think it's a really important thing to pay attention to because people are acting like Delta variant being more contagious equals more deadly. And that's not actually the case. Sometimes when they say it's a stronger virus, what they mean is stronger as far as its level to infect or more likely to infect. And that typically, almost always, means milder, not stronger, less likely to actually kill people. So when Delta variant came, everybody's like, oh, the Delta, oh my gosh, you know, it's so serious. It's like, well, is it more serious or is it just more contagious like a typical cold would be contagious, in which case it's actually milder. Not to say everybody has a mild cold experience with it. And I, and I do have some genuine questions about how regular of a virus this is, if that makes sense. Um, 
kind of feels like there's something weird going on with this, that it's creating types of infections in people that are odd, symptoms that are odd. It just does not seem to fall into a respiratory virus category. And, um, and I do wonder if there has been some level of intervention here into this that has made this act and perform differently, so to speak. Uh, which means it's re- it's received differently in the host. And there's just a lot about this. This just does not, it just doesn't match up to not only respiratory viruses, mild or very strong, but just does not seem like stuff we've had before. And that really makes me question a few things. And so now you've got, you know, a strain that's, you know, making people more infected, like having these stronger, and it's just like, but that's not how it works. So So why is it working that way? And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But then you kind of look at, okay, well, we mass vaccinated in the middle of a pandemic, which, you know, obviously that discussion has always been not really the smartest thing to do because you're creating these vaccine resistant strains because you are, uh, you know, interfering in the middle of natural progression, which as we see with a lot of man-made things, it usually causes some other problem. And or can create another problem. And what if the vaccine itself is creating this problem of this whatever stronger strain or, you know, stronger mutation? And so that's what kind of piqued my interest when I saw the title of this article in Nature, which is how do you how do vaccinated people spread Delta and what the science says? Okay, so the subtitle, Delta spreads more readily than other coronavirus variants among vaccinated people, data suggests. So we have talked about how when you're an asymptomatic carrier, you are unknowingly passing things on. We've talked about that with the uh, DTaP vaccine on the Vaccine Conversation podcast, talked about that because while you may not experience symptoms, you're still just as likely to catch it and to spread it. And you know, the point of vaccination is not just is not really to make your symptoms lessened. What they claim it does is to stop infection, stop the transmission. But that's not actually true for pertussis. Pertussis is the component for whooping cough inside the DTaP vaccine. That's not actually true. So when you're not stopping the transmission, and also the same can be said for the flu vaccine, you're not stopping transmission. You're only lessening your own symptoms. So that's not really stopping community spread. And therefore, how could you force or mandate something claiming we're doing this for the community? So the COVID vaccine is no different. They talked about this early on. It's not going to stop transmission. It's just going to reduce the likelihood of you being hospitalized or dying. Now, of course, that's not bulletproof either because we're hearing so many stories of hospitalized patients being vaccinated. The problem is they're not counting them as vaccinated uh, a lot of the times or they refuse to acknowledge this is a breakthrough case because obviously that doesn't help the number. So we're not really getting honest reporting when it comes to that. But we are hearing on the ground stories from people who have also been hospitalized or nurses saying, you know, a lot of who they have in there are vaccinated people, uh, you know, and they are still being hospitalized. So 
It's supposed to just reduce your symptoms. It's supposed to make your experience lessened. It doesn't always really do that. I read some tweets on the last episode that talk about day seven, day eight, day nine of infection after vaccination and people saying like, oh my God, thank God I got it. I would have died otherwise. And you're like, well, if this is supposed to make your your symptoms milder, sorry, but a nine day case doesn't seem very mild, especially when a lot of people who have not been vaccinated are having, you know, three to five day experiences. So here we are now looking at What happens if it's actually vaccinated people contributing to the spread because it's not stopping the transmission, maybe at all? And when they say, oh, it worked for the other ones, but doesn't work for Delta, well, sorry, but for the last, what, six months, it's been nothing but Delta across the entire world. So it doesn't really matter what came before with A, B, and C. We're already on D here. So why are we still pushing everybody to get vaccinated if they're still spreading? Like, is there a chance this is kind of making it worse? Okay, so the author says, when early field data showed that vaccinating people cuts transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, researchers were cautiously optimistic. But they warned that many of those studies, although promising, took place before the fast-spreading Delta variant proliferated worldwide. Now, reports from various countries seem to confirm what scientists feared after the variant tore through India with alarming speed in April and May. Delta is more likely than other variants to spread through vaccinated people. Okay, reminder, this is August 19th, 2021, so this is recent. Data from COVID-19 tests in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Singapore are showing that vaccinated people who become infected with Delta SARS-CoV-2 can carry as much virus in their nose as do unvaccinated people. This means that despite the protection offered from vaccines, a proportion of vaccinated people can pass on Delta possibly aiding its rise. So let's break that down. Vaccinated people carrying as much virus in their nose, otherwise kind of known as viral load, as unvaccinated people. Now, how would somebody who had two doses of something that's supposed to be a broad spectrum protection carry as much viral load, as much virus in the nose as somebody who had not received a single dose? If the vaccine is the magic answer, how come it is not stopping people from getting it, carrying it, and having enough infectious virus to spread it? Because see, this was my big argument back when we were talking about asymptomatic transmission. If you are not symptomatic, you don't have a ton of viral load, okay? That's just looking at the basics here. The more symptomatic you are, the higher your viral load, the higher the viral load, the more likely you are and more contagious or infectious you would be to somebody else, aka a bigger risk to members of your community. If you literally have zero symptoms, but somehow you're getting a positive test result, if you've been following my page at all over the last year and a half, we've looked at this, you know, PCR testing. Is it legitimate? Is there an issue with how many cycles they're running it? Is it an issue with picking up prior cell fragments from other related infections, either from COVID or from something else? There seems to be a lot of problem when 
you got millions of people testing positive with zero symptoms. I mean, what kind of sickness does that? None. There's not a circumstance where you're some danger and an, or an infectious agent to somebody else when you've got no symptoms, feel nothing, and are literally operating on your, your full normal speed. I mean, it's just very, very unlikely. So when we talk about viral load, that's an important concept because you want to understand how likely are you to infect somebody else because that's the real concern. Who cares if you have symptoms if it doesn't go anywhere? Fine, you experience it and you're over it. But if you have symptoms and now you're infecting other people, isn't that the whole fear of everything? It's the reason people went into this like total psychosis of uh, OCD that exists right now. So viral load's important. And if you have the same amount in vaccinated and unvaccinated people, then I'm sorry, but the vaccine's just not really doing its job. Okay. And then, so again, repeating that last line, this means that a proportion of vaccinated people can pass on Delta, possibly aiding its rise, aiding as in helping to aid someone to help. What if vaccinated people are adding to the rise of the spread? Again, if that's the case, then what are we doing it for, let alone forcing people, threatening them and mandating them to do it for? Is there a chance that the fact that we're doing it's actually jacking up the whole natural progression of this? Is there a chance that if we would have just handled this like normal early on without trying to get involved in either suppressing it or now trying to intervene, is there a chance that it, it would have just gone better, been done, been milder, and the community been actually more protected than we really are now? Because what's happening now is people are getting three doses already. And I'm talking about just the United States because we know in other countries they're even trying to push a fourth dose already. Three doses already and still wearing a mask all the time. And somehow people are okay with that. Like, listen, either one of those four things isn't working for you. Either your first dose didn't work, your second dose, your third dose, or your constant mask usage. Something's not working. If you have to do all four of those things and you still are aware that you're not at the place of protection, you're not at the place of like, okay, I can stop mitigation efforts. You're still mitigating. You're still trying to stop and suppress after all of the interventions. Then the interventions at that point are not working. The interventions have not worked. If you cannot put your hands up, put your feet up and go, okay, we're here. I got to the place that I needed to be protected. After all that, you're still doing it. Then they aren't working and maybe you just need to try something else. Because if they were working, you wouldn't have to keep doing something, let alone have a quadruple layer. And even that is still being used. Like it's still not, it still didn't get them to the point where they can just let it go. It's still, they're still not there. Okay, so then describing exactly what the most recent study that's leading them to this conclusion about the Delta being spread by vaccinated people uh, she talks about this study. So um, there's a virologist, David O'Connor. O'Connor and his colleagues at the Madison and Dane County Health Department looked at infections in Wisconsin in June and July. The team used PCR tests, which are widely used to confirm COVID infections. The PCR tests are used to estimate the concentration of virus in the nasal fluid samples. The tests detect 
the virus's genetic material by amplifying DNA until it's detectable as a fluorescent signal. The number of amplification cycles needed to get a signal, a measure called the cycle threshold value, or CT, remember that because I'll mention that again, serves as a proxy for viral concentration in the sample. The lower a sample CT, the more viral genetic material present. So again, the lower the number, the more likely you are infectious. The higher your viral load, the more likely you are to infect somebody else. Okay. Of the 311 vaccinated people who tested positive for the SARS-CoV-2 in that group, most had CT values of less than 25, a level at which researchers expect the presence of infectious SARS-CoV-2. There were a total of 719 people in the study, 311 of them tested positive and were vaccinated. And they had CT values of less than 25, which is synonymous with likely infectious capacity for SARS-CoV-2, meaning they were likely to be able to infect somebody else according to those numbers. What did uh, the co-author say? The bottom line is this can happen. It can be true that vaccinated people can spread the virus, but we do not yet know what their relative role in overall community spread is. Now, this is the co-author, Thomas Friedrich, who is also a virologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. The author continues, data from Provincetown, Massachusetts, suggests similar findings. An August report from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, showed that following large gatherings in a beach town, nearly three-quarters of 469 new COVID cases that occurred in the state were in vaccinated people. The findings prompted the CDC to update its guidance the end of July that once again recommended that people in areas of high transmission wear masks indoors. Now, if you look at the map of areas of high transmission, it's literally almost the entire country. So don't think you're only talking about a few hotspots. They've, they've made it so it's almost the entire country, which means they believe vaccinated people still need to wear masks, even if they've had one, two, or even three doses, because they're noticing circumstances where vaccinated people are the new COVID cases. They're still made up and comprised of vaccinated people, enough to where they'd be concerned. So you remember when we first started talking about breakthrough cases, they were like, oh, these are super rare. So rare that we're not going to really, you know, calculate them unless you're hospitalized or die from them. And even then they weren't really talking about them. How rare do you think they would have to be to have the CDC update their national guidance that all vaccinated people still wear masks inside. Do you think it would be rare at that point to make that kind of change? Do you think they would risk kind of backlash from people if they did not have enough evidence to say that maybe this is a bigger problem than just a rare outlier case? It's got to be pretty serious and pretty often for them to make a complete change, a recommendation change. Now, I've also wondered if sometimes they do this mask guidance because it's a symbol and they want people to remember that we're all 
sick, risky, disease, dangerous, and in the middle of a pandemic that some people seem they just don't want to let go of, it's almost like I wonder sometimes if it's the visual representation for keeping people in the state of panic and fear. Because we see all the different laws that have happened in different states during emergency use of power. We've seen all sorts of things go wrong on even the federal level with this emergency state of power and then the state levels. Do you think they really want to give that up? It doesn't really seem like they do. And this could go, this could be true also for the county levels. It seems like they want people to continue to be afraid. They want people to still be panicked. And to me, that's just such a huge red flag. Like, why would you want people to be in that awful state of stress? Because all it's really doing to people's bodies is making them more susceptible to illness, which makes them more likely to get sick and have a serious case, which makes them more likely to be a number that's reported that perpetuates the cycle of fear and panic. And we just keep going around and around and around. So if you've got the CDC changing recommendations, trust me, there is enough data there, whether you know what data that is, whether we know as a public what that data is or not, there's got to be enough there for them to do some kind of blanket reversal of their policy and put something universally in place in the country again in the middle of summer. There is this discussion of how this variant is somehow biologically different So it says, in Houston, Texas, a Houston Methodist hospital team has been sequencing and logging SARS-CoV-2 variants for almost every COVID case in the hospital since March 2021. Okay, well, that's what, four months. It's not like it's been that long. But anyway, it finds that close to 20% of Delta cases are in vaccinated people, nearly three times the rate of breakthrough infections with the other variants combined. So 17% of Delta cases that this hospital found were in vaccinated people, which was three times the rate of breakthrough cases for all the other variants combined. Now, keep in mind, are they being honest in their reporting completely? We know that they won't log anything unless you're 14 days after your second dose as far as calling you vaccinated. So there are probably a lot of people got sick after the first dose, second dose, before the the 14 days. And there's probably a lot of situations where if somebody comes in, they might go, oh, you're vaccinated, so I'm sure it's not that, because their own belief system is that it's not possible. So maybe they're just like, oh, you have a sinus infection. Oh, you have a respiratory infection. They might not even be testing them. Who knows? I mean, you have to keep in mind there is such a thing as personal biases, and uh, that bias can come into play when we're talking about categorizing, documenting, the same way we're seeing with reporting vaccine reactions. Well, that's not really happening from the, quote, medical professionals who don't believe that vaccine reactions happen. They're not being honest about reporting things because they personally don't believe them, so they're seeing a different conclusion. So you've got to think about that. But in this particular hospital, we're looking at 17, almost 20% here of people were vaccinated for the Delta variant. That's not that rare, especially when we're talking about hundreds of cases or thousands of cases. And when you extrapolate that over the country and bottom line, if you're double vaccinated, I'm sorry, but the whole point of the thing is for it to work. Now, what if that number 20% is actually higher because of these other factors I'm talking about? And I have a feeling that it is. 
Remember, they're calling a lot of people unvaccinated that aren't really unvaccinated. But uh, anyway, it says, interestingly, it says the patients with the Delta SARS-CoV-2 also stayed in the hospital slightly longer. So the molecular pathologist and director of the hospital's Center for Molecular and Translational Human Infectious Disease Research, his name is James Musser, says there's potentially a slightly different biology to the infection. His team found that the CT levels, remember these are the levels that they use to determine if something is, confe- if something is infectious, the CT levels were similar in vaccinated and unvaccinated people. Again, another study showing that the amount of virus in the body capable of infecting somebody else is equal, similar, close, almost identical, between vaccinated and unvaccinated people. That shouldn't be the case. That basically tells you the vaccine isn't working, at least for this variant. So why are we forcing all these school kids to be now under the gun for mandating this or all the employees for mandating it. This data is showing you it doesn't stop you and it's making you just as infectious. Meanwhile, you've had an immune suppressive response to this because that's what vaccines do. So that makes you even more susceptible to get sick in the first place, which if that's what's going around, that's what you're going to get. And now that we know that you can infect somebody else just as likely as an unvaccinated person, then you're more likely to be spreading it as well. And you're probably going everywhere thinking you're protected, so you're probably not staying home when you have that sore throat or sniffles thinking, oh, it's not going to be that because I'm vaccinated. If the CT levels are the same, that's a huge red flag. That's a huge problem right there. The infectiousness is, is the same. That's, that's something's very wrong here. And I just felt like his, his quote was a little telling He's like, there's a potentially slightly different biology to the infection. Yeah, like I told you, something's a little off with this. This is not typical. This is not really what they typically see. Now, are most viruses so different from each other? No, not really. Respiratory viruses are all very similar to each other. So why would something just be so completely different? I mean, remember, guys, there was a SARS-CoV-1 back in 2003, and that's supposed to be 80 to 90% similar to this one. I don't know. It's, it's not like we don't have data that shows us what that really was. And that was a little more typical. This is very atypical. So whatever other 20% is there is something that I think, who knows, might have been manipulated on some level because this just is not following traditional patterns and not in a way that's just like, oh, it's a new virus. Like, no, it's, it's just very different and, and possibly, I don't know, artificial in some way. I mean, that's all I can say. I mean, it, there are no answers on that. And I know there are a lot of theories on that. But just looking at the data, something seems a little off here. So what they also found with the Delta viral loads were similar in both groups for the first week of infection. Now, they're trying to say, but it dropped after day seven in vaccinated people faster than unvaccinated people. And all I can think to myself is seven days. I mean, shoot, you shouldn't even be sick for seven days. Like a sickness should be almost done on seven days. So if the vaccinated person still just as infectious seven days into it, like, again, uh, I, I don't know why we are not ringing the alarm bells 
and, you know, cutting all the programs that are in place for mandating and pushing and, you know, requiring employees to be vaccinated, et cetera. We got some serious data here that is saying that's just not necessary because it's not doing the job. So this kind of, this is the kind of stuff that makes me angry because I'm thinking, well, listen, you had the best intentions. Cool. Put the vaccine out. Turns out it's not really helping. Okay, let's own up to it. Same thing with the, uh, you know, attempt to flatten the curve. Hey, we thought this was the way to go, guys, but turns out suppressing it really just created all sorts of other issues. Our bad, you know, we're going to backtrack a little bit here and change direction. We're going to try something else that might work a little better, but no, nobody does that. What they do, at least not in our country, what they do is they just go, yeah, we're going to just do it even harder. (laughs) We're going to do it. We're going to be even stricter about it because we can't really admit we went the wrong way. So now we just have to double down. And that's kind of what we've seen, right? It's like digging in their heels, being so stubborn, they're just going to double down. And so here we are, the vaccine, guess what, is not really stopping the spread and and vaccinated people are contributing to the spread. What would be your natural inclination after that conclusion? Oh, yeah, let's force everybody to get it then. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Let's force everybody to get something that we have data, scientific proof that says it's not stopping it and it could be aiding it, aiding the outbreaks. But let's force everybody to do it now. It doesn't seem very rational. In fact, it seems quite the opposite. And it gets frustrating to see stuff like that. And then to have people look at you and be like, you're selfish for not, you know, joining in. You're like, wait a second. Don't you, don't you think about stuff before you do it? Or do you just do it because somebody said to do it? I mean, I'd like to make an assessment there, right? And if it's going to work, okay, maybe there's a point to it. If it's not going to work... Why would you take on the risk? And there is risk for everybody. I don't care what people say. No, no, it is not a harmless intervention. And in fact, we don't even know how not harmless it is because there just isn't enough data to say that. So one thing I found interesting is they tried to mention a study that was done in the UK. And this was done earlier than what results we're seeing here. Okay, and this is in UK. Now, this should be your first red flag. Again, this is the kind of stuff I think about when reading this. It says, one massive analysis of Delta transmission comes from the UK, led by a team at Imperial College. Okay, and it says that they test 100,000 UK volunteers every few weeks. They ran CT analyses for samples that were received in May, June, and July when Delta was rapidly replacing all the other variants. They ran samples. And the results suggested that among the people that tested positive, those that had been vaccinated had lower viral load on average than did unvaccinated people. And these results differ from these other studies. And, um, and they're saying the reason that is because it included people who tested positive without symptoms. Okay, there's so much to unpack in this because I want you to understand how one paragraph can have a lot of implications. So the first thing is Imperial College. Is it ringing any bells for you? Imperial College, these are the people that created the model, the model of devastation 
back in March 2020 of how many people were going to die unless we did this global mass lockdown. So Neil decides to tell everybody, according to this model, we're going to be screwed. We've got to lock down the entire world or else it's going to just be mass homicide, essentially. He originally predicted 550,000 deaths in the UK and about, I believe, 2.2 million deaths for the United States. The Imperial College model. Okay, the Imperial College, second biggest funder. And if you've seen me speak at any live events, you might have heard this already. The second biggest supporter financially that donates money to the Imperial College is Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation. Why is that significant? Go back to some of my earlier episodes on this podcast and you will find out why. So the Gates Foundation and Bill Gates is financially contributing to the Imperial College. All of a sudden, Gates was really, really concerned and involved and invested in the whole vaccine and how everybody needs to be mass vaccinated. The entire world, he said. Like literally, you know, 7.8 billion people need to be vaccinated is what he said. So why would you need to be mass vaccinated unless you felt like there was a risk of everybody dying? You need to kind of have a doomsday prediction that goes along with it. And this is where he found it, the Imperial College. So the Imperial College model came out saying this is a brand new virus. Nobody has any prior exposure. So this is just going to wipe out people left and right unless we go through a mass global lockdown. Shortly after that, then there was an Oxford model that came up. And said, wait a second, seems like there is some cross-protective reactivity here. Seems like there is some cross-protection from prior infections and or a bunch of people who may have already gotten this, but it was so mild they didn't realize it, to where we are not as susceptible as we thought. These were two models coming out of the exact same country, but with two very different suppositions. Knowing what I know about the two models, about the Imperial College, and about Neil's prior predictions that were so grossly off, it's embarrassing from a statistic standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. You can't be that wrong that many times and still have credibility. So as soon as I read this, and see, knowing some of that backstory, obviously, then if, you're, if somebody, your, your friend sent you this article... Or sent you the study, the study they're referencing right here, which was the one from the Imperial College. Your friend from high school sends this to you, and you, or you see this on your Facebook, they post it. I mean, they might not know this whole backstory and understand the significance of why it's really hard to take something from the Imperial College and, and believe it. So remember, the Delta variant, the first time we're really hearing about this is the UK. The first time I did, anyway. And now you've got them doing a, quote, study from the Imperial College where they're looking through to see what the viral load was and their conclusion is that the viral load was higher in unvaccinated people so therefore don't freak out everybody you just got both your vaccine doses yeah you might get it but it's just it's really really low because they don't want everybody going well what the f did I just get these for you told me I needed these to protect myself and now you're telling me it's not working they don't want that kind of response right people be angry so they've got to create the science that backs up what they said to do so that people stay calm. 
And that's what they do. And and some of this science, I'm sorry, but you guys, this is funded to have a certain result. Don't kid yourself. Yes, they can put out studies that have literally been completely manipulated to come to the desired result. You think every one of these things is objective? Absolutely not. Oh, these are science, your scientists and researchers. Yeah, and they are paid just like anybody else. And if somebody comes and says, well, we're just going to take out this portion of the participants, or we're just going to look at the data from these three categories, you can make it look like anything you want it to. And trust me, a lot of people not happy with what's gone on the last 18 months. They need as much science as they can to prove, yep, this was a good idea. See, here, here it is. It was a good idea to lock down. It was a good idea to do masks. It was a good idea to force vaccines. See, see? They're going to keep doing that so that people don't freak out because they can feel it. They can feel people responding in a way like, huh? Uh, is they making sense? And you hear that enough times, and before you know it, you start to get a little pissed off. And hundreds of millions of people pissed off is going to be a problem for the handful of people that are in power. But once again, people tend to forget how much power they actually have. So they keep putting out little studies that kind of keep people at bay. And then what they do is they make sure that study is like shown on every single news channel so that you've heard this so many times in a couple of days of just going about your life that you start to believe it's a proven fact and it's been backed up and okay, you can kind of take a, you know, a breath again. And it's basically how they do damage control. So anyway, in this particular UK study from the Imperial College, the results suggested that the viral load was higher in the unvaccinated. But now I just told you two different studies that have shown since then that in fact, the viral load is identical or similar. So why would this one be different? because they included people that were, quote, asymptomatic. And they also talked about them running certain cycles. There's been a huge issue with the fact, and even the World Health Organization discussed this, where they've been just using higher cycle numbers, and that actually picks up prior infections, which could give you a positive test when you're not actually infectious anymore. So if they're including asymptomatic positive cases, meaning they're either, it's a false test, a false result, false positive, or it's somebody who has such a low amount of viral load, they can't actually infect somebody else, then that's going to change, obviously, the results. But mostly, we have to be concerned with the people that were not symptomatic, because a positive test result means nothing in my book. Unless it's a positive test result with actual symptoms, and I don't talk, I'm not talking like little baby symptoms, but actual symptoms. So they agreed that there's a chance that the reason those things were a little skewed was because they were using a broader category of people with random positive results, but that were not symptomatic, aka they probably were not infectious and or sick. So this article concludes by saying these findings along with increasing cases in younger people who have not received both jabs, underscore the effectiveness of double vaccination. Now, how could you read everything I just read and hear everything I just told you and come to the conclusion that this just tells you even more why you need to get double vaccinated? And they say, we think it's really, really important to get as many people double vaccinated 
particularly those younger groups, as soon as possible. Why? Why would you end up at that place in your mind of rational, logical thinking after everything that I just said? You wouldn't. But perhaps it was by design from the article author who knew you want this information actually out there. You got to sort of say it a certain way. I mean, that's best case scenario. Best case scenario, which I'm rooting for, is the author of this article was like, listen, I know the deal, but I'm never going to get this article published if I don't say at the end of things, we believe everybody should get vaccinated. So that's me, that's me hoping it's the glass half full there. Worst case scenario, they put out the quote, real truth, you know, and show the other side of it. But then they always come back with the same way to manipulate you back into what you're supposed to think about it. So even though this is happening, everybody needs to get vaccinated. So then you've got all these robots walking around like, it doesn't work. It's the responsibility of the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. Everybody must be vaccinated. Like, even though it makes absolutely no sense why they think that. But I encourage you to look this up in Nature, a scientific publication, Nature, How to Vaccinated People Spread Delta, What the Science Says. Again, this is volume 596, August 19th, 2021. You guys like this podcast? Tell your friends. Tell people about it. I never ask you to do that because I always think it's weird to have to ask people that. But I think there's a lot of good stuff that comes up here. Let people know about it. Send an episode that you find interesting to a friend. And if you are that friend who's listening, welcome. And that's it for today, you guys. Thanks for joining me on What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd.